Hi there. I'm Jen Hale Christie, and you're listening to Preach Her. This podcast is designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. One quick note before we jump in. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to check out and join our Patreon community. It's an awesome way to join me and others in this good work, whether you want to support women preachers and make sure this work continues, or if you want to partner with me and have actual direct input, there are opportunities for you to engage at whatever level feels good for you. So click the link in the show notes and let me know what you think. Today, we have a special guest preacher, and afterwards, I encourage you to stick around and hear our conversation about life, ministry, and hope for the church. And now, let's hear a word. Have you ever had a friend tell you something about themselves that deepened your relationship? Maybe it was someone you were dating, or perhaps a family member, a school friend, or a co-worker. The story could be anything, really. Something about their life that expressed vulnerability, like past shame or abuse. It might be a story where their interests or passions are revealed. Maybe it was a turning point in their life and they shared it with you. It could be as small as a favorite dessert or a childhood story. Each interaction you have with that person moving forward is different than the ones that came before because revelation is essential to relationship. Maybe the revelation was from your side You approached someone who you were close with and expressed some part of who you were. In doing so, you gave something of yourself that only you could give. Revelation. Perhaps the other person was in a space of vulnerability and you offered a story of your life to remind them that they are not alone. In seeing this need that someone else had, you offered your very self as a compassionate response to that need. Our text today will be from Luke 24, 13 through 35, and I will be reading from the NRSV. Now on that day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and taking talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? 
Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So the text tells us that Jesus had been dead for only a few days, and the women had come back with a very strange story. Two disciples are walking to Emmaus and hashing out all of what had happened over the years of Jesus' ministry. The death was surely shattering, even with all of Jesus' predictions, and then the body had gone missing and was rumored by some angels to have been risen from the dead. Jesus has raised people, but to raise himself from the dead after three days? It seemed impossible, even if Jesus was the promised Messiah. They began to remember what they could about Jesus, about his life and ministry, and whether they had missed something or what it would mean to them going forward. Then an uninformed stranger joins them, and they tell him what they know. And it isn't as if any of their technical details are wrong. They simply do not understand what it means. They correctly identified that the three days after Jesus' death means something, but whatever they were expecting, a missing body or a risen Savior isn't it. When Jesus speaks, you can almost hear him between frustration and laughter. Even when he was wholly risen, they still do not see the full revelation of God. Jesus takes this opportunity to tell them all about who God is, what God has done, and is doing, and the promises made about himself, divinity made flesh, and the comforter who was coming to remind them about all that God had taught them. Jesus, rather than correcting their knowledge, instead reveals himself to them through the revelation of God already shown through the history and the prophets. Now as they get near their destination, they urge Jesus to stay and eat with them as it grows dark. They didn't know that the darkness of their understanding of God was about to be made light. As Jesus sits with them, prays, and breaks bread, suddenly they understand. The revelation of God to facilitate and grow the relationship between God and creation is fully on display as God incarnate offers them bread to eat. But as soon as they see him, he is gone. Jesus revealed God in a way they didn't expect. They didn't expect his divinity nor a post-death shared meal, and they definitely didn't expect God's resurrection. In the moment of Jesus' explanation, God is doing what God has always done, the work of revelation of God's self for relationship with God's people. And in this moment, they finally get it. God, whose goal throughout the scriptures has been known to be made known among the creation, is finally accessible to the created order. God come near has come near, is with them, sharing in their very flesh and bone. The moment of revelation is important. Jesus prays and then breaks and offers them bread. In this moment of meal sharing, 
after the prayer and after all that has been said and explained and interpreted to them about Jesus by Jesus, they finally saw him for who he was. Now they knew a God who was offering them bread, God's own self-revelation and a greater relationship. This is both remarkable and totally typical of God. Out of a desire for relationship with humanity, God has made God's self known. God knows that human ability to identify traits of God or particular actions as divine is inadequate. Only self-revelation on God's part will allow for true relationship. Without revelation, human connection to God is strictly one of obedience. With God's choice to reveal, we can instead enter into relationship. This is clear from the beginning. God's first act is to reveal God's actions. When God creates, first comes light, telling us that God desires to reveal God's work to the world, in this case, even before there was a whole created order to reveal to. As God walks through the two halves of the animal sacrifice, God seals God's promise to Abraham because only God can make a covenant with God. But God is so insistent on a covenantal relationship, on closeness and intimacy with his people, that God, knowing Abraham's inability to seal a covenant with him, stands in as both parties in covenant making. Moses gets several interactions with God's revelation. The first is an interaction with a bush on fire, reminding Moses that God does not require certain contexts or structures before God reveals God's self. The second is when Moses is placed in the cleft of the rock in Exodus 34, and God passes by, declaring that they are the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This testifies that God alone can tell us who God is and what God does. A goal of this revelation is deeper relationship between God and Moses. Later, when restoring the temple under Josiah's reign, when priests rediscovered the Book of the Covenant, God's revealing came in two ways, through the covenant now able to be renewed between God and God's people, as well as through hold of the prophet's interpretation of God's will through God's spirit. The prophets are also a part of the story of God's self-revealing, as they receive God's instructions for the people, telling them as conduits of God who God is. And in relationship with God, the prophets also gain a revelation through the intimacy between prophet and revealer. When John the Baptist comes, he too notes God's revelatory work, as he tells the people that he who comes after me is greater than me because he was before me. John, through the spirit of the prophets and Elijah, knows that the Great One is coming. Therefore, we can trace this regular work of God from the beginning of God's work in creation. Out of a desire to offer a deeper relationship with humanity, this great work offering reconciliation, God makes God's self known. And as we see God's constant work of self-revelation, as we study the road to Emmaus and the meal that came after, what does it mean for us? Perhaps we should consider this. For those of us who believe, may this reminder of God's work of revelation allow you a clearer sense of who God is as you yield your ideas and understanding, your knowledge and facts about God to the larger, greater, more beautiful perspective of who God reveals God's self to be. As we grow in awareness as God reveals to us, we can better step into relationship with God. God knows who we are, and God chose 
to reveal God's self to us. What a radical action of love. For those of you who don't believe or feel like maybe you aren't in on who God is, may you know that God reveals God and that by asking, you can receive God's revelation. You don't have to know things about God as a prerequisite to God's revelation. You just have to be ready to have your understanding of God redirected. Openness to relationship, even if it is hesitant, is a first step to receiving revelation. God reveals God through the word made flesh, Jesus, our Christ, through God's actions revealed in the story of God's people told in the scriptures and throughout history, through the Holy Spirit as God acts and moves in the world, and through our experiences of God as interpreted through these things. At the end of the day, we must rely on God to tell us who God is and not our own expectations. Because this revelation desires to build our relationship It is a central element of God's connection to humanity and a great gift shown us throughout the scriptures. Hello, Kana Moore. I am here with Kana Moore, our guest preacher for the day. So happy to have you here. Kana, would you tell us a bit about yourself, where you're currently residing, where you're from, what you're up to? Uh, Yeah, so my name is Kana Moore. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, but I'm from Long Island, New York. Uh, but I am actually living back in Memphis uh, right now. I'm studying at the Harding School of Theology. I am in my fourth year of uh, studying for my Master's of Divinity. Uh, I live on campus, which is very convenient for me, but uh, I am just basically finishing out my coursework, uh, trying to make space for my practicum and my schedule, uh, serving as our student body president and uh, other things like that. I'm uh, working uh, part-time in our library, part-time with the admissions department, so I'm pretty ingrained in the community here. My congregation that I'm with right now is the Holmes Road Church of Christ. I'm also working uh, to a small degree with a, a cell church in North Mississippi uh, that's an egalitarian community, uh, and we're meeting in a house right now. So those are kind of the things that I'm doing with my time and ministry space. Tell us about what a cell church is. I don't know if our listeners will be familiar with that term. Uh, so this is just a congregation that was uh, a part of a larger congregation, but has kind of broken off to do a, a small church model, a much smaller church model. And so we're meeting every week in uh, the home of this minister and his, his family and uh, meeting together just to do uh, essentially what would be a church service if we had a larger building, but is much more sort of uh, casual, community-oriented. We always eat together before we uh, sing and pray and, and study and things like that. So that's awesome. Thank you. Well, tell us what you you mentioned that that cell church is um, is egalitarian. Is that a place where you have opportunities to preach? And if so, or if not, what other like what does preaching life look like for you right now? What opportunities are there? Yeah. Uh, so this community will be a space for me to preach. I haven't gotten to yet. Um, but I did do our communion talk a couple weeks ago. Um, and for right now, most of my preaching has been in my coursework. Uh, we're required to take a preaching class and I've actually taken two now and taking one this semester. And that's been really awesome. Uh, I've been invited a few places to preach and that's been a really great opportunity for me. None sort of in my immediate area. Um, I am also not working full time, but working a little bit. Uh, with the Christian Student Center at the University of Memphis, 
uh, in that they've invited me to come and speak a couple of times. And so that's been a good way to kind of stretch my skill set in that direction. But uh, I don't have a regular place that I'm preaching, uh, unsurprisingly, but <laughs> I am grateful. There seems to be that there are more and more opportunities for me. And uh, that's been very encouraging to me, especially since there was quite a quite a long time in which there was sort of a drought of opportunities to use that uh, that gift. And so now that they're kind of coming back in a little bit, that's been really encouraging. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, the landscape sure has changed since I was doing um, an MDiv. I mean, it was many years ago, but, um, but I'm glad to hear how many more opportunities you're having. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Okay. So um, awesome sermon. Thank you so much for um, spending some time in the word and for sharing that with all of us. Tell us a little bit. Um, so I, I found myself wondering um, if, if the revelation of God is up to God, if, if talk of God, like if, if God reveals God's self and, and that's, that's who can tell us who God is, then what does that mean for us as preachers who kind of dare to say a word about God or about what God is up to? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question because I think it is complicated because I sort of wove this in at the end, but it is true that like God's revelation comes out in different directions, right? The way that it is revealed to us more intimately is not usually just a face-to-face -face interaction uh, with God. Uh, God doesn't usually sit physically at our table and offer us bread to eat. Um, but it is important to remember that like any revelation that we get from a different space, be that from the word, our own spiritual experiences, our time, time in meditation and prayer, our spiritual community with other people, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that those things are still revelations given to us by God. Mm -hmm. And that like, even with our own interpretation, which everything we do is interpretive, um, even with our own interpretation, those revelations given to us are still revelations of God about God, that I cannot force God to reveal who God is, and then I cannot uh, coerce or harass God into telling <laughs> me something about God that like God reveals God when God intends to and uh, it's a bit of a difficult challenge in, in preaching because I feel like sometimes uh, I'll be working on a sermon I'll be preparing something and I'll kind of expect it and, and anticipate it going one direction and it kind of just doesn't and it feels like I'm stalling but it's sometimes due in part to the fact that I anticipated God in in a given direction and God is actually revealing to me in, in the process of preparing for the sermon that God's intending for me to, him to be revealed in a different direction, right? That God wants to be, to be seen, to be shown uh, in this given context, in this given way, through a different lens or sphere or space. Mm -hmm. And so that's not to say that God isn't in that first space I anticipated, but that is to say that like sometimes God reveals certain things about God in a given way for the community's need, for the individual need, uh, as a reminder, uh, just as like any relationship has. Uh, if I'm arguing a lot with my sister, uh, sometimes it's important for me to remind her that I care about her in this way, right? Or that my love and my anger are not necessarily against each other, or various things and elements like that. And so uh, I don't want to make too many anthropomorphic statements about God and our relationships, but <laughs> But it is to say that like uh, 
sometimes our anticipation of God's revelation kind of actually blocks our vision from God's actual revelation. Mm-hmm. And so I think the way that we as preachers kind of learn to submit to that is to allow uh, for us to be aware of our expectations, first of all, and then secondarily to be willing to sort of lay them gently down, not to sort of throw them across the field uh, because we might, <laughs> we might need them. But it is to say that like uh, even in spite of, of, of perhaps decades of faithful service that sometimes God uh, looks or reveals different in a moment than we thought. Uh huh. Yeah. And I think that um, requires a degree of humility and openness and flexibility um, that, um, that doesn't necessarily come naturally or easily to many of us um, to be willing to say, here's what I think, but God, you might have something different for me and for your people here. Um, And to, you know, to be willing to be, um, to set aside your own preconceptions um, of what you thought a text was saying or what you thought, who you thought God was. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's even harder sometimes if we've spent a lot of time working on something and then, uh, we realize that that's not actually like we're getting resistance mm. and you're like, man, but I, you know, I've worked so hard on this lesson or this perspective or this sermon key point, you know, this was my key point of my sermon. And uh, now, now I'm being prompted that that's not what I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, my father is also a minister and he ministers in New York. And I remember one morning uh, I woke up and he was awake as he always is very early. And he looked at me and he said, the middle of the night last night, the Lord decided we were preaching a different sermon. (laughs) And so there are points at which like you have to say, like I set aside my own energy and ego Uh in order to to truly lean into this revelation of God. Uh, And that's a sacrifice. And that definitely is coupled with our own ability to say like my efforts and energies are not more crucial than the revelation of God. And that's Mm -hmm. a, that's a big step of humility. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad um, that you have shared that with us and that you have modeled that for us. Um, Thank you for that. And sorry for my dog barking in the background. All right, Kena, one last question. What, um, What word would you have today for people who are preparing to go into ministry, people who are um, early in their practice of ministry, particularly people who are preaching, maybe women who would like to preach. Is there a word of hope, encouragement, caution? Um, do you have something for us? Yeah. If I am to share sort of the revelation that's being shown to me in, as of late in my work and in my ministry, it is that we, uh, even in spaces when we are short in terms of opportunities to use our gifts, uh, it is crucial that that time be laden with uh, developing our own spiritual sense, with choosing to invest in long-term spiritual discipline uh, and in spiritual communities. It is really easy to get caught up in other things and uh, to presume that like we can lay that groundwork later as we're laying the second or third layer but it's, it's kind of better if the concrete has dried before we really attempt to do any other work. And so if we can commit to this now, that gives us the opportunity to commit better later and uh, to be more adept at knowing the directions and how to move through the process 
uh, and to be truly patient <laughs> in that practice is something I think we should all be mindful of. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So, so lay the proper foundation, be patient, be mindful, be engaging spiritual practices, um, and not necessarily um, jumping the gun on all the things that we might want to do or might feel called to do, but to, to be patient, practice discernment. Yeah. And the waiting. Not, yeah. Not really a lesson I want to know, but a lesson that I am in the process of learning. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much, Kena. I really appreciate it. And we'll hope to hear from you again. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jen. Thanks. Bye. If today you find yourself on the outside without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash Christie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Christie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.